Well, as a dad, that just about melts your heart. Somebody once said about following something up, Andrew, <laughs> you've made it really hard for me to come up and preach here now. Thank goodness we get to open the Word of God together, and it's not my word. So why don't we turn together with Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and that's page 833 in your pew Bibles. What we uh, start to realize as we hear stories like this, as we, people give their testimonies of faith, is that all of us in life, we go through ups and downs. And we can, we can all testify to the fact that there's moments in life where we experience significant doubt, where there's moments in our life where our spirituality feels quite dull. We can actually come across discouragement in our lives, and in our faith in particular. And so when we're honest, we, we can come even to a morning like this, hoping that there's some encouragement and that's often why we come to gather together, is we need spiritual encouragement. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that the Colossian church needed spiritual encouragement. They were overdue for it. They needed a fresh reminder of who they were in Christ. And so Paul tells them that the antidote for their discouragement, the antidote for their dullness, for their doubt, is they need a reminder of the gospel. And so if you need a reminder this morning, if you've come you're familiar with discouragement, you're familiar with doubt, then there's a good word for you. Let's listen together to what Paul says to the Corinthians. Colossians chapter 1, 1 to 8. Again, that's 833 in your red pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we take seriously the words found in this Bible collection of ancient texts, but made alive by your Spirit. We believe that, that this morning we can hear your voice as we read the words in, in your written word in these pages, that we come in contact with the living word who is Jesus. And so this morning we submit ourselves again to its truth, and we pray, Lord, would you sink these words deep into our heart. For those of us who have come here in need of encouragement in our faith this morning, would you give us hope because of the gospel? And we pray these things for Jesus' glory and for his name. Amen. So this morning we start, there's a lot of new decorations here, we start the Advent season and those are the four Sundays before Christmas Eve. The Christmas Eve service would be our fifth 
time that we gather to celebrate. And so there's four times that we celebrate Advent. Advent means arrival. It means the arrival, the coming. And so we celebrate that because Jesus has come. That the Savior of the world has actually come into the world. That God became human, took on flesh, and has come among us. And so we celebrate that together. And yet, we also know that there's still brokenness. We recognize as, as things flash across your screen, you realize, oh my goodness, that the world is a broken place. There's so much hurt. There's war. There's, but, but many of us also know that in our own lives, there are stories of brokenness and hurt and pain. And so we enter into the story of, of this nation, Israel, who started out as a family, and we're longing for a savior. And there they were. They were ruled by foreign countries for, for centuries, and they wanted freedom, and they wanted saving, and they were waiting for the Messiah, the promised, the coming king. And so we enter into that, and it's an appropriate season to enter into right at this season because we're all a little bit depressed that it gets dark at 4.30. I don't know about you, but I am. We come home at night, and it's dark, and, uh, and the days from here on in until Christmas, and so living in the Northwest Hemisphere, it's actually a beautiful picture uh, as we celebrate Advent because the days get shorter and shorter and shorter. The darkness actually keeps encroaching on our daily lives. And so we recognize that in real life. We see that in real life. We actually know that the darkness feels like it's encroaching on us sometimes. And so in that, we celebrate, we, we remember that in that darkness, Jesus came, and yet we know it's not all right. And so what we long for is not the first coming. We long for the second coming of the Savior, that the Scriptures promise that Jesus is going to come again. And so that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the hope in the midst of the darkness. And so this morning, I want to say, as we light the first candle, the candle of hope this morning, I didn't do the pre-light. That's always a good thing. You've got to do the pre-light, because then you won't stand here for two minutes as the thing gets lit. Hey, look at that. No problem. We light the candle of hope. And I want to light the candle of hope for you this morning, because we believe that the gospel has brought light and life to us. And that's the hope of salvation. That we can know that Jesus will come again. Bursting into the darkness, just like Christmas lights that are being hung into the dark evenings through this season, we start hearing and whistling or singing or humming along with these beautiful beacons of light that contain the gospel. And so whether you're shopping at the outlet mall or you're getting a Starbucks drink, your peppermint grande latte, non-fat, whatever whip, mocha latte... Whether you're getting that, all of a sudden you begin to sing along with some of these hymns and you realize that, oh my goodness, the gospel, this light, is being shone in places all over. That the gospel light is reaching these places that are often full of darkness. And we need those gospel reminders in those places. And so this Advent season, we want to take, we're going to look at a few select lines from the carol, the sacred Christmas carol, or the sacred Christmas hymn called Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we sang this morning. And we're going to take a look at some of those lines, and we're going to look at them in light of Colossians chapter 1. And Colossians chapter 1 is probably one of the most beautiful pictures, one of the most beautiful portraits of Christ in the whole New Testament. And so we're going to take a look at these lines in the context 
and allow Colossians 1 to shed light on it for us this morning. The author of our hymn this morning, Charles Wesley, he grew up as a kid of 18 kids. He was a second last kid. And if that doesn't mean you might need counseling later in life, I don't know what does. 18 children. Born as a pastor's kid, that's another reason for good counseling as you grow up. I would know. Uh, born as a pastor's kid, he actually went to, he was educated at Oxford, went on to do his master's degree. He was a well-educated guy, and he wanted to become a pastor. He wanted to become a minister in the Anglican Church. And so he did his studying, and he became a minister. And while he was in college, while he was studying, he started a group that was a discipleship prayer group. They were very serious about discipleship. They were very serious about prayer. They were very serious about how they were living out the the rules of how the Anglican Church told them how to live. And they did that very specifically. They worked really hard on that to get everything right and everything in order. And so some of their classmates called them Methodists because they, they did everything right down to the very detail, the methods of the Anglican Church. And it was a term of derision, which later, of course, became a whole denomination. And so in the midst of that, of him really honestly living like a perfect Christian. He did everything right. He was charitable. He was generous. He donated money. He cared for the poor. He did all the things that the Anglican Church told him to do. And in the midst of that, in his journal, we have his journal that we can read even to this day. It's, it's a good memory of his life. He kept saying over and over, why do I still have doubts even though I'm living a good Christian life? His soul felt empty. He felt like he would go and experience communion. And he said, he said one time in his journal, I, I take the elements. I've had the elements, but I've not had Christ. I take the elements, but I don't even experience Jesus in them of communion. He had this incredible doubt. He came back from a missions trip to the Americas. He was hoping to evangelize First Nations folks. And he was here for a year, and it was the most devastating, depressing experience. Even his own people, the folks that he traveled with, didn't like him very much. And he spent a really depressed year in the U.S. and came back from that even more discouraged than ever in his faith. He thought, my soul feels so empty. What do I do? He became ill because of the stress. And as he was in bed, a friend came by to visit him and prayed for him and said, do you hope to be saved? Here's an Anglican minister who says, yes. His friend says, what, what reason do you hope it? He says, because I've used my best endeavors to serve God. And his friend just shook his head and said no more. And Charles says, I thought I'm very uncharitable and said in my heart, what, are not my endeavors a sufficient ground for hope? Would he rob me of my endeavors? I have nothing else to trust to. And he realized then that he lacked faith, and he confessed to his visitor his own unbelief. And his visitor in that moment began to tell him about the gospel, that it's free gift. Only a couple days later, another friend had visited him, and he was reading to him in Luther's gospel commentary on Galatians. And in there... Charles was overwhelmed by this fact that the gospel was free, that was personal, that salvation had nothing to do with what he did, had nothing to do with what he earned. It had nothing to do with how good a Christian was. 
that salvation had simply to do with faith in Jesus Christ and this personal faith. And he was so overwhelmed by that. He began weeping and he gave his life to Jesus. He said his heart was strangely warmed in that moment. And after that, it didn't just stay personal. What that grew into was a faith that sparked incredible things in his life, that he became a traveling evangelist, and he touched thousands of lives after that moment. In fact, after that moment, he became a songwriter, and he wrote about 6,000 hymns, many of them which have reached millions of people around the world, all because he realized in a moment that it had that salvation for him, that surety and hope in Jesus Christ had nothing to do with what he did or living out what the church told him to do. It had everything to do with what Jesus had already done and putting his faith in Jesus. And so as we look at Colossians 1, chapter 1, in light of the line from this hymn, Hark the Herald, light and life to all he brings, we see that firstly, the gospel is light, and secondly, the gospel is life. So firstly, the gospel is light. One of the main metaphors when we think about light in spiritual sense is that it's about enlightenment, that we have a dullness of spirit, we have a dullness of mind, and we need illumination. And when the Colossians had received the gospel, the lights turned on for them, so to speak, spiritually. But there was in the midst of that group, there was probably a group of Jews that made up of Jews that were telling them that the gospel is just the ABCs. You've got to move on from that. And there's things that you need to start doing to become a real Christian, to really deepen your faith. If you want to be a really deep Christian, you need to start doing the things that were, that were in scriptures. Like, you have to follow certain food laws, and then you'll become a better Christian. You have to start observing the Sabbath regularly, and then you'll become a better Christian. You've got to observe the festivals, all the Jewish festivals, and the new moon festivals. And then you're going to really deepen your faith. You're not deep enough. You're not a real Christian yet. And Paul says, it's rubbish. And they need encouragement. They become really discouraged by that, these Colossians, this whole church. And they, they think, are we even really Christians? Are we even saved? And Paul says, absolutely. Let me remind you. I'm going to remind you of the gospel. And so God, Paul reminds them that the gospel is light. It is illumination. It is the very thing that, that gives us enlightenment. And firstly, the gospel came to them. Our passion says the gospel came to them and they heard it. So enlightenment happens through hearing. And sometimes we think we'll live out the gospel and people will see what we do and they'll be inspired and believe in Jesus. But this, this, the gospel comes through telling. The gospel comes through hearing. And enlightenment comes through hearing the gospel told. That's what Paul says here. And so they heard the gospel. And then Epaphras taught them. So not only this first initial hearing, but then Epaphras came and he taught them about what does the gospel mean in your everyday life? How does that work itself out? The good news of Jesus, what does that look like in your life? So they learned it. And then in verse 6, we see that they truly understood it. And that's the enlightenment. They, understanding the gospel, they understood that the gospel was God's grace for them. It's gift. Spiritual enlightenment is free. When we put our faith in Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel. 
that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When the gospel is announced and it's heard, when it's learned and when it's received and understood in one's life, it truly is the light of God. And, and the beauty of the gospel is it's like this spotlight that shines right on Jesus and illuminates who Jesus is for us. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is a spotlight that illuminates Jesus. There's this beautiful passage of the Messiah, promised Messiah in Malachi 4.2, and it calls the Messiah the son of righteousness, the S-U-N, the son of righteousness. We see that in the hymn. The son of righteousness. When the son of righteousness shines, who is Jesus, he melts the clouds of sin and sadness, and he drives the doubt, the dark of doubt away. He drives it away. He melts those clouds. Isn't that a beautiful imagery? The gospel is light. The word there, understood, understanding the gospel means that we've spent time to study it. You accurately know it. You know it so well that it's become a part of you. And I uh, I've come across Christians who, who do think that the gospel is the ABCs, that, that the, the word about Jesus and how he's come to save us and how his life and his death and his resurrection, and when we put our faith in him, we actually go through that with him. We've, he's died the death that we deserve, and he's raised to life, and so he's given us new life that we didn't deserve. And some people think that's the ABCs. We need to move on from that. We get bored of that message. That's just elementary and so some folks move on to other churches looking for something more deep. Or some folks say, I need to add works to my life so I can become a deeper Christian, a better Christian. So if I work hard at doing the right things, then I'll be, maybe become more mature. And Paul's saying this morning, that's not the case. Once we see again the brightness of Jesus and what he's done for us, we realize, like the Colossians, that we have an incredible hope waiting for us in heaven. And so the gospel, what we need, Paul's saying, is we need to gaze intently again at the gospel. If you're experiencing doubt this morning, if you're experiencing a dullness in your faith, what we need is the light of the gospel to illuminate Jesus again for us. The glory of the risen king. That's what we need to see again. We don't need to add other things to our spirituality to make us more mature. What we need, again, is to gaze at the gospel. The gospel reveals who Jesus is. And he said, I am the light of the world. The darkness only gets pushed back because of Jesus and faith in him. And so we don't need to move on from the gospel. What we need to do, again, is look very carefully at it again. And so firstly, the gospel is light. Secondly, the gospel is life. Light and life to all he brings. This past summer, Christina planted a beautiful garden. She's a way better gardener. She loves it. She loves gardening. And so it was on the whole one side of our yard. And it was full of tomatoes and potatoes and peppers and herbs and corn we tried. And by the way, it's really disappointing when you grow corn. We bought, we, in the past we've bought organic corn we're thinking we're going to be do so healthy for our kids and we're going to eat organically and then we bought some gmo corn and we planted them right beside each other and the gmo corn was amazing 
And the organic corn was really chewy and sinewy and kinda gross. But anyways, that's beside the point. <laughs> out of the blue, out, that was an illustration that had nothing to do with the message. Out of the blue, this vine sprung up out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, and started almost taking over the whole garden. And in time, pretty quickly, we soon saw that it was a pumpkin vine. And it was just because we had thrown an old pumpkin into the garden last year to, to rot. And here this thing is overtaking the whole garden. And then it produced an incredible amount of pumpkins. Some of them were huge, and our kids carved them this year. So the fruitfulness of this vine was incredible, and we barely did anything for it. But it took over the whole garden. And that's the picture that Paul wants us to see here about the gospel. Paul's saying to the Colossians that the gospel is bearing fruit. And so when we need hope in our lives, we need to not only know that the gospel is light, that the gospel pushes back the darkness in our lives, but we need to know that the gospel is powerful and it's effective. That what we believe is not just pie in the sky. What we believe, the world wants to tell you that the gospel has nothing to do with real life, that it's full of fairy tales. And Paul is saying that's not the case. The, the gospel is powerful and effective, and you see that. We'll see it this morning in the lives of people who are turning their lives to Jesus and experiencing significant transformation in their lives. That's what Paul's saying. So when you need a ray of hope in your life, in the darkness, Paul is saying we need to remember that the gospel is life. It brings life. The gospel is incredibly powerful and effective because it's like a vine that's producing pumpkins all over your garden. It's vigorous. When we doubt that our faith is real, we need our hope renewed again. That the gospel is light. And the gospel brings life wherever it goes. Listen to 2 Timothy. Paul again, and he's writing to his pastor, his young pastor. He's mentoring this young pastor. 2 Timothy 1.10. But it has now been revealed through the approaching, or the appearing of our Savior, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. It's the imagery that we'll see this morning in baptism. Destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? Destroyed death and brings life to light through the gospel. The gospel illuminates the light of Jesus, it illuminates the glory of Jesus. It also illuminates the life that Jesus brings. That's, the gospel is so essential for us. And so our hope needs reviving by the gospel. Nothing else can bring that light. Nothing else can illuminate the life that we need, that we need so desperately at this season. Than hearing the gospel. It bears fruit. And this fruit, I love it. It doesn't say that the gospel is growing plants everywhere, which is kind of a cool image too, but it's, it, he speaks of fruit because fruit is the reproductive part of the plant. And so the fruit of the gospel is always reproductive. That what that one pumpkin can create is a whole bunch more pumpkins. And that's the fruitfulness of the gospel. We need to see that the gospel spreads wildly. And that's the natural outflow. And so then we see the fruit of that gospel here, Paul says. The fruit of it is not only transformed lives. Those lives are marked by faith and love. So the fruit of that transformation is faith and love. 
And so we don't need to muster up our faith. Actually, our faith comes from the hope that we have. That's what, Jesus, that's what Paul's saying here. It's the hope that we have in heaven. It's secured for us that we have this hope on layaway. Anybody have layaway Christmas presents? That means they're going to save it for you until you bring the money in. Our hope in heaven is that we have eternal life, and that's on layaway in heaven. And that hope that we have affects the here and now, and that's what produces our faith. If you feel faithless this morning, if you feel like you wish you had more faith, faith comes from hope. That's what Paul is saying this morning. As we hope in Jesus, faith springs up. And then actually love comes out. Faith is a beautiful word here. Faith is pistis. It's kind of an unfortunate word. But faith is pistis, which means faith slash faithfulness. It means faith and faithfulness in one word. And so this faith is produced from our hope. When we hope in Jesus, that it means we have faith. We believe, but it also means that we're faithful to that belief, that it begins to work itself out. So we don't have to work hard at being a Christian. When we put our hope in Jesus, that stuff just starts coming naturally. We want to start following Jesus. We want to start living in certain ways. We want to leave the old life behind. We want to live a new life. We don't have to work hard at that. It becomes a desire that springs up from the hope that we have. And then love is this beautiful word. Love, it's, it's because of the romantic period and because of movies that we watch, we think love is something else. Love is charity. Love is, love is charity for a fellow human. And so this love, this selfless, agape love, is like benevolence. It's like brotherly love. It's the word used in the love feasts when, when the early church celebrated communion. It was a meal. They sat around tables and they ate a lot of bread and they drank wine and they had a meal together and they celebrated communion together that way. It was like this love feast. It was like family, that kind of love. Dare I say hospitality. We've been in a theme of hospitality. It's that kind of love. Love for our fellow man. Love for our neighbor. The love that invites in around a big table that's spread. That is the fruit of hope in Jesus. We don't have to work hard at that. When we put in our, our hope in Christ and we look, we gaze intently at the gospel and we begin to see and we begin to understand it and the gospel enlightens us, we begin to live those ways naturally. That's the fruit of it. That's what Paul is saying here. So unlike Charles Wesley, who worked hard and he followed the rules and it felt so completely empty, he was doing it backwards. It was the horse before the cart. No, it was the cart before the horse. <laughs> and so the horse before the cart is putting our hope in Jesus. Our hope is secured for us in heaven. And with that hope, as we look at the gospel, and the gospel illuminates Jesus Christ for us, shines a spotlight on Jesus. That's what we need. We need to go back to the gospel because that's what's transformative. That's what really transforms our lives. Later in Colossians 1.23, so this is just a few verses later from our passage, Paul says this to the Colossian church as he's kind of wrapping up this thought. Colossians 1.23 Got that, Stephen, Colossians 1.23? Thank you, sir. <laughs> so if you continue in your faith, this is our encouragement this morning, and this is our encouragement for our baptismal candidates, but this is our encouragement for all of us. If you continue in your faith, Paul says, established and firm, and do not move from what? Do not move from the hope 
held out in the gospel. Don't move from it. The gospel is not the ABCs that we move from. The gospel is what we go back to every day. And we allow that to sink into, seep into us, the good news of Jesus. And there's hope in it. Don't move from it. Establish yourself. Plant yourself like that vine right into that hope. That's the gospel. Plant yourselves in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every light and life, to all. He brings light and life to all. It's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So I'm going to say to you this morning, if you are here this morning, and you feel a dullness of spirit, some of you maybe feel like, I've been a Christian for a really long time, and I know the rules, and I, I give, and I but you have a dullness of spirit. Maybe you have inside, your soul feels empty. Your soul feels dry. Your soul, I invite you again to put your hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to go back there every time. We don't move on from the gospel. The gospel is our hope. We plant ourselves in that hope. Let's pray together. This morning, Lord, we thank you for Paul's letter to the Colossians. We thank you for the reminder that we need when we experience doubt, when we experience spiritual discouragement, the reminder to look again at the gospel because the gospel is the spotlight that shines on Jesus, the Messiah. And so, Lord, would you help us to become a people even more than we already are, a people who are planted, that will put our roots down in the gospel that we keep getting nourished from the good news of Jesus Christ. We know that the world thinks it's foolishness. And sometimes we're influenced by that. Sometimes it casts doubt. Sometimes there's Christians who come by and tell us that there's more to it, that we have to add something to it. And Lord, we know that's not the case. And we're thankful for Paul's word to us this morning, that the gospel, the good news is all that we need. And so we plant ourselves firm in it this morning. We say, Lord, would you bring us encouragement? For those of us who have lost loved ones and Christmas is incredibly difficult, where even that difficulty can cast doubt in our minds, I pray for hope. I pray that the light of the gospel would be our shining beacon of hope in this season. For Jesus' glory. Amen.